bringing you a new episode of Vodka O'Clock Podcast from AmberUnmasked.com. You can sponsor the show and my work by going to patreon.com slash amberunmasked. And Patreon backers get our cat detective stories a week before anybody else. Um, you also get some news and uh, behind the scenes look at uh, my work. So I'm so thrilled and unbelievably giddy, in fact, to welcome <laughs> <laughs> author Terry Lynn DeFino here on the show. She has written the most amazing book. Um, she's written plenty of books, but um, but th this latest one just completely ha just had me going. I mean, it's it's a there are there are emotions. There are, there are emotions, <laughs> but lots of humor, too. And I love that. So we are going to talk with with Terry about Verena Palladino's Jersey Italian love story. Terry, welcome. I'm so happy to have Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, so what is obviously very cool about this Jersey Italian story um, is how relatable it is. And I'm putting this out there. I've never seen The Sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't watch it until uh, like three years ago. So yeah. I was real late to the game. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I get it. I kind of, you know, I get it. I've driven past the places where, where they did some filming and stuff, but it's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so we can spend an hour talking about cats or the books. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could go either way. <laughs> <laughs> so, so give me, give me the intro of your cats. Um, oh my goodness. I have three. I usually have four, but one died about a year ago. Um, but we have Yiro, who is a gorgeous, long-haired, elderly gentleman. Aww. And Coraline, who is a tank, but a little floof. She's just the sweetest thing. And then Toulouse, who's an orange, one of those orange marmalade cats. And he is um, pleasingly plump. <laughs> yes, I I was so excited to see that that you had a hefty husky orange boy too because that's yeah that's what Oliver is um, and Gus is our short hair uh, black cat with a couple of secret white patches. Um, oh, he's the one that looks kind of like Coraline. Yeah, yeah, he's and he yeah. has the fangs. His big everybody's always impressed <laughs> by his very long saber-tooth fangs. Um so I don't know if we'll get out on adventures today cuz it's supposed to rain, but um he's actually just sulking, I guess, next to me. <laughs> um so you've written a lot of books and uh, oh. You you made this particular I don't know it, did you would you call this like a switch in genre because you've written uh, uh, like sci-fi fantasy or how do you I I did three fantasy I started in fantasy it's really you know if I had my druthers I'd always be reading fantasy but uh, you know that lasted a few years and um, then I got into romance for a little while and then my first um, big five published whatever book was the Bar Harbor Retirement Home for Famous Writers and Their Muses, which is literary fiction. And Verena is is more commercial fiction. It's got a I guess a wider appeal than literary fiction. But yeah, it's I, I kind of move around the genres as much as I can. I, 
the more you publish, the less you can move until you get to be really famous and then you can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Um, in, in fact, it, I know that in one of your recent interviews, there, were, there was a discussion about uh, self-publishing and mm -hmm. traditional publishing and everything. And it's like, well, the great thing about self-publishing is you can mm -hmm. do whatever you want. You um, can. You can. And, um, you know, otherwise you, some people do, do successfully rebrand themselves with different pen names. Um, I, mm -hmm. I don't, I figured I worked really hard to get, <laughs> to get my name. Um, I guess there's a long backstory. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and like Tina Turner said, she's like, I worked for this name. I'm going to keep it. And um, yep. she, so if Tina Turner can uh, fight for her name, then I'm like, that's a good reason. I don't, you know, I don't, um, so the the cat stories come out weekly and the cats have their own website catdetectivecases.com but so yeah, I did saw you... I was moseying through Oh did you um did you ever <laughs> have have that thought about a pen name to switch when you did switch genres Well at this point in time I I do have a a more uh contemporary fan fantasy it's called Death in the Mason Jar and um we're trying to shop that around and it's, it's hard because you don't want to compete with yourself, which is one reason you could do a, a pen name is, you know, there's only so much room on the shelves. And if you're competing with yourself, it's not a good thing, but it's a completely different genre. So I would probably go with a pen name on that one if I were to do it now, cause I'm not famous yet, <laughs> but um I don't know. It's I, I've thought about it a lot. I, I really wish sometimes that I had done a pen name for the romance stuff just because it was so different from my fantasy stuff and it's so different from what I'm doing now. So I don't know. It's something that I went back and forth on a lot, actually. It feels that way for a lot of people and other people just have like actual legal obligations, uh, which I didn't know mm -hmm. was possible. Um, but they're you know like if they're writing under a certain name or whatever like the the publisher has claims mm -hmm. to it or something so that's yeah that's I mean one that, that's like um I'm thinking more along the lines of like Stephen King and and Nora Roberts I know she writes under J.D. Robb and because Rob. it was completely different and all that kind of stuff but the, it does get very complicated like right now I, you know, I'm kind of obligated to not publish anything for a while because of that non-compete thing. You know, you just don't want to compete with yourself. There's a lot of things about publishing that I never knew publishing smaller. You know, I went from the, my fantasy stuff was published by a very small uh, publishing house out in Kansas City, which I absolutely loved working with them. Um, but, it, you know, you learn so much as you go kind of up the ladder sort of thing. And it's, very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with the the Verena Palladino story here, um, one of the coolest things uh, is that each chapter starts with some 
words and their definitions, their definitions of how they're used in Jersey, their definitions of what they came from and the etymology from uh, Italian and how the, you know, pronunciations change. And I was like, this is so educating. I'm like, this is brilliant. I love this. <laughs> Isn't it fascinating? And it really is. And then, so not only was this really fun, but how did you come up with the idea to then incorporate that with a, a part of the story? And, and I'll, I, you know, I'll try not to spoil it, but you, unless you want to, but um <laughs> So I was wondering how you came up with the idea to then take those words and make them part of the book of like the story within the, the story, you know? Well, you know, there's a lot of words that everybody knows, you know, everybody knows capiche, everybody uses capiche, everybody, I think at this point in time knows gabagool, that kind of stuff. But there are so many words that I, I truly did think that my family made them up. And if you want to use them in the story and nobody thinks, you know, nobody knows what you're saying and they don't know how to pronounce it. They don't even, you know, they've never seen it. It looks like a lot of gobbledygook. So I did want to put um, like a little glossary in there and it started out just collecting words that I might use. And before my editor got it, each chapter had like five, <laughs> five words at the beginning. And we had to trim those down a little bit. But it, I, I really felt that not only did it um, help with the story so that you didn't stumble over the word, you don't want to put footnotes, you know, and um, it also worked out with who the narrator turns out to be. So Wait. if that became part of the story. Okay, so that's, yeah, because I loved how, um, you know, there's an a very sweet ending that I think gives closure and um the this vocabulary is is part of that and I, I just I thought it was mm -hmm. a nice touch it all worked out and the funny thing is that I wrote the whole book thinking the the person who's writing the words was somebody else and I got to that last chapter I was like oh wait that's not the one who was doing it all along <laughs> ah your characters spoke out to you yeah yeah I got to that last bit and I was like this is the wrong narrator that I have to change the whole thing <laughs> and speaking of narrating um because every you know the the main characters each get their their point and their time to talk which is you know it's really well done because you can get into everybody's headspace and and really see how they're feeling um but you've got Verena, who's in her 70s, right? Um, mm -hmm. And she's she's really like the central, she's the, the title character. And um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, so much is going on with, with her kids, um, her mom. <laughs> so I was wondering mm -hmm. why, why it was that you chose Verena and not um, not Polly or Donatella that, you know, in the, the next generation, you know, I could understand why you didn't choose her mom because she's in 92 mm -hmm. at the beginning of the book or whatever. <laughs> so, um, so why was it Verena that um, became your highlight? 
well, she's the nucleus of the family at this point in time. And I don't know, I mean, in Italian families, there's always that one. It's either the matriarch or the patriarch. And it's usually the matriarch that every, everything, all the holidays, all the get-togethers, everything revolves around this one person who eventually is the one doing it all. And to focus it on Verena just seemed to be the most logical for me maybe comes from my background but um she is the absolute nucleus of family and you know in in generations before it would have been it was her mother sylvia and in the next generation it should have been donatella but we won't go into her and so you know but there's always somebody who takes over and right now in this point in time verena is that center of the family so i thought it was best to give her the title role Okay, um, because uh, like I said, each each character we really do get these complete um, looks at them, and I and it's beautiful. Um, but speaking of Donatella and and Polly, and um, so Polly is essentially adopted by the Paladinos. Mm-hmm. Um, he he grew up with the kids, and um, and he's openly gay from page one um and he lived his life you know kind of getting beat up all the time and made fun of and and everything and in a reasonably small kind of town even though it's not like Mm -hmm. it's not the middle of nowhere kind of town they're still close to Mm -hmm. new york and, and stuff that side of the state um so what did it feel like for you making these decisions of you know, how does this, you know, millennial gay man feel? Mm -hmm. How did you put yourself in that position? Well, um, my brother is gay and he came out in the eighties when it was just starting to, you know, people were just starting to come out and there was the whole AIDS epidemic and everything. And it was, it was just kind of drawing on that and what he grew up feeling and because we're very close and um it was not a it wasn't a hard stretch for me to just kind of remember what it was like for my brother and there are places in New Jersey I mean I'm sure all over the country but I'm you know a Jersey girl um it doesn't matter if your town is right next to New York if you are in a town that everybody has worked and lived and gone to school there and you know came back and raised their own kids there it's as small a town as you're going to get and they're not as progressive as you might think. It, of course, it always gets better. I mean, every, every year brings more and more change. But there are, you know, there's still people who go through exactly what Polly went through, even though it was, you know, at a whole decade after my, my own brother. So I, I drew on that. So it wasn't, it wasn't too hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> It's um yeah the the eighties I mean we had boy George um you know mm-hmm. George Michael and and Elton John and what's funny is there were a lot of these um, very successful you know gay icons who hadn't officially come out yet like it was only mm-hmm. more recent that Barry Manilow it, it came yeah. out and I'm like but we all knew yeah I know it's. <laughs> Liberace did we really not know (laughs) yeah 
Um, but it is it is a, a relief for, you know, for the whole queer community to, well, not all of them, apparently, you know, mm-hmm. our trans siblings are not going through a, a progressive time right now. Um, mm. So hopefully that will, yeah. that will change. Yeah, um, oh, it's, it's their fight now, you know, we all, it, it, it will get better. It always gets better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So um, what's interesting, though, about, you know, about the Palladino family is that they're so welcoming. Um, they're so welcoming to Polly in a very protective way. And um, what the thing that Verena goes through as our title character and kind of the main one of the main plots anyway is that her kids are well her her daughter and her mother are thinking it's time for her to have a romantic life (laughs) because her husband's been dead for a while um but um with as open and loving as Verena is she's just like um like still a little scared I I think even when it comes to making a best friend which I love in the book that you Mm -hmm. say this is like her first best friend ever like she Mm -hmm. went from you know through school to marriage and and you know so it was just like working it's working in a home life with your partner I mean day in day out your husband's just there and then he's not um Mm -hmm. so um she's hesitant to introduce Ruth to her family <laughs> and I, I and it's just so funny that they're they're all of the members of the family are like you know are you lesbians <laughs> <laughs> she was a she was more afraid for Ruth than she was for herself <laughs> her family's a little much which I can relate to really <laughs> Yeah, that was just so so cute, and that her her mom calls her the redhead or something. Gabarus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. Um, but it, it yeah, it is. Uh, the, you get that the pigeon language in there, and um, you know, and Ruth has her share of Yiddish, and again, there's certain words that we all know. Um, mm-hmm. So, it, it was. I think a lot of people don't um, acknowledge how similar a Jewish family is and an Italian mm-hmm. family. Like it's yep. so much the same. There was a, my dad used to tell a joke: the the Jews and the Italians they're the same. Just one has a meatball and one has a matzo ball. <laughs> that was, yeah, it's true. I mean, we're so the similarities are crazy and Greeks and, you know, I mean, we're all that Mediterranean sort of mishmash. <laughs> I, yeah. And I, I'm not in my seventies like Verena, but I'm up there in age at, at this point. And, um, you know, I just really felt the same things that she felt when she's, was like she didn't have a best friend I'm like every time Mm. I thought I had a best friend they would actually Mm. then talk about their best friend and it was always some other person and I'm like but I thought we were best friends (laughs) 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 
Yeah, it was important to her. I mean, it is it is hard to not have that one friend, you know, when your family is your friend. It's just different. It is. It is. Um, I think the cats are fighting behind me. Um, <laughs> I locked mine out with my husband. They're out there with him. <laughs> yeah, there's my, my boy. Oh, he's got a crazy face on. His teeth are showing. Yeah. He's my best friend. <laughs> um, <laughs> there he is. He's like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Spring, the spring air does make them absolutely nuts. Mm. So much to smell. <laughs> so many good things to smell. <laughs> um, and, and I, one thing that I don't know if, if any of your other interviews talked about, but I want to talk about the Victrola. Oh, it's real. Uh, that's what I wanted to know. I'm like, this seemed too <laughs> odd to have thrown in there. And what was really weird. Okay. So this Victrola, my mom had had for years and years and years and years. Um, and it used to sit in the corner and it never did anything weird, but everybody was freaked out by it for some reason. I don't know why, maybe because it was old, but, and we used to play the old records and stuff. And my daughter lived with my mom for a while with her young family and they used to dance to it in my mom's house. They'd go in because they, they had like a mother-daughter. And she'd go in with the kids and they'd dance to the records and everything. So when my daughter moved out with her family, my mom told her, take the Victrola with you. And she was so happy. And she took the Victrola and she and her kids danced to it all the time. And one day, um, after I started writing this story, my daughter called me up and said, Mom, it's real. She was upstairs doing whatever she was doing, her housework, and she the kids were downstairs playing. And all of a sudden, the Victrola is playing. And she called down to the kids, stop playing with Victrola. And they said, we didn't touch it. We didn't touch it. They can't even reach it, let alone touch it at this point. And she came down, and it was going. <laughs> uh-huh. I knew there had to, what... it had to be. I'm like, this, I'm like, this is just too unique. Yeah. It's really because everybody always said it was haunted. I don't know why. They, everybody just thought it was this creepy thing. And I don't know, maybe they knew something I didn't. But it was, yeah, she's real and she's still alive. <laughs> That's fantastic. In, in our family, it was a lamp. Um, oh. <laughs> and <laughs> sometimes the lamp would go on or on or off by itself. And we were told that was Aunt Elsie. <laughs> Oh, I love it. (laughs) It's like, okay, you know, I just grew up like Aunt Elsie lives in a lamp. (laughs) (laughs) So let's, uh, while we were speaking about genres before, um, so this isn't a cozy mystery, um, but I felt like people who read cozies will still love this unless they're really like offended by adult language. But as I said, I'm... (laughs) I'm not, I put Which adult language, <laughs> yeah, I know, I understand, like, but I put adult language into my mysteries, and I was like, I still call them cozies, I'm like, I don't know what else you call them, cozies with swears, I don't know, um, <laughs> but there are mysteries um, that the that the family needs to figure out, like, um, 
why the men uh, men from town are suddenly showing up at the Paladino's <laughs> Italian market and what the heck's wrong with Donatella you know everybody's wondered what's wrong with her <laughs> her entire life she's this you know they think this bad seed of the family troublemaker so I love how your your daughter planted this idea with you about uh-huh. the whole the whole plot for Verena so um for people uh-huh. who haven't haven't read it yet and haven't heard um I would love for you to just recap the that oh it's awesome because and I keep a picture of it so I can illustrate it to people when I see it my daughter my younger daughter lives in Brooklyn and she was walking to the subway one day and she saw this flyer on a lamppost And it was a picture of an elderly gentleman holding a rose, wearing a tuxedo. And across the top, it said, is your grandfather single, Jewish, and looking for love? And across the bottom, it said, $10,000 reward for a match made. Yeah. (laughs) So she, and there was an, there was an email address that I have written to, but I never heard back. But um, she snapped a picture and said, this is your next book. And I was totally, it was like, absolutely you are right and the rest is uh great it was so it was such a fun book to write but that was the whole spark yeah so and and matchmaking is still done in in certain cultures um Mm -hmm. I love it but here Donatella and her her grandmother conspire behind Verena's (laughs) back um and they you know, but they, they try to be very careful about it, which was smart. You know, it's like, you don't just want random people showing up. So she's like, I'll screen people, they'll email, I'll get the email and then I'll give them, you know, where to find mom if, uh, if they're interested. And, <laughs> and it's just so funny, you know, sort of like sleepless in Seattle, a similar, you know, like try, the kids trying to get <laughs> his dad back out there. And um, it is so clever that there are all these different ways to um, connect now, you know, it's. Yeah. Well, I wanted something to, I I needed it to be harebrained, but at the same time feasible. Yeah. And in their, you know, in their lives with the three generations like that, it's, it was, it seemed feasible enough to me. I just wanted it to be, God, this is so stupid. Yeah. What were they thinking? What were they thinking? I mean, usually it's like guitar lessons, babysitting, <laughs> you know, free kittens. I have never seen anything like this before, though. This was so good. And it was just like, what great timing that your daughter spotted that. <laughs> I mean, it was. She sat, She sent me another one um, about a year later about a senior group who it was a casting call. And they were doing um, Othello, I think. I, I still have it because I saved that one too. And I'm totally doing that one. <laughs> awesome. Um, so what do you, what does your family think of, you know, mom or grandma the writer? Do they think it's like super cool or do they just not? Yeah, you know? it's, it's crazy because my daughter, my older daughter works for Romper Magazine. So she's um, a journalist. And, you know, I write fiction. And then my younger daughter is an academic writer. So we're all kind of writers. <laughs> but um, the kid, um, I have, you know, my, my niece just sent me a picture of a display of my books at a Barnes and Noble in 
Clifton, New Jersey. And she was so excited. She's like, this is my aunt's bug. And I get a lot of people taking pictures for me. It's, you know, it's not just the family. It's that extended family of people that aren't really related, but, you know, they're but still are. Yeah. Of yeah. And they're all super excited. And yeah, it's adorable. I love it. <laughs> um, so what can we talk about? What are we allowed to talk about with Donatella? Um, whatever. I no spoilers, I guess, but otherwise. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, um, well, she's, well, first of all, she's the only girl of, of that group of, mm-hmm. of Arena's kids. Um, so I guess the boys probably looked at her as like, she's just trouble. She gets away with whatever she wants. She's selfish. And then she comes mm-hmm. back around when, when she needs something usually money and um and it's like I just felt so bad for her because there's this relationship between Donatella and her grandmother Sylvia Mm. that is so sweet and so protective and I just love this idea that no matter what she can go visit you know her her Nonia Nonina and Mm -hmm. And just like, you know, get the hug she needs because sometimes life is hard. (laughs) Life is hard and you don't know which way is up. Um, And, and there are secrets there um, about things that they have in common and why they relate to each other so much. And those, so it's like they're mysteries within the family because every family has secrets, Mm. of course. Yes, of course. Of course. And so Mm -hmm. I did find it, you know, like an interesting choice that, you know, the the grandmother gets to go her entire life keeping a secret. And that's just, that's got to be so hard. It's really what they did, though. I mean, you, you didn't, you know, Sylvia was not quite as bad as Donatella, but she had the same feeling. So she understood it, but it was, um, you know, we, we don't know the stories of our grandmothers because they never talked right. about it, you know, and she didn't either. And even my own mom, who is now 82, um, I don't I don't think she had secrets, but who knows? I have no idea. There are things that happened to her that you just they just never talked about it. So I think Sylvia seeing herself in Donatella and wanting to make it better for her. She's wishing that she had somebody who would give her a hug when she needed it kind of thing. So yeah, I really liked their relationship. Um, And it's, you hit the nail on the head. There's a a comedian. He was just joking around obviously and saying something like, ah, we never know our parents. I think it was a Mulaney. I think it was a John Mulaney (laughs) throwaway (laughs) line. Like, ah, we don't know our parents. Um, But it's true because, um, they don't, especially there was, you know, the, the greatest generation where, you know, the men came back from war or, or the women and there was just stuff you didn't talk about. Like there was, no, no. you know, there was no therapy. There was no, you know, it's, no. and you know, I think that I'm, I may learn from other people's mistakes kind of person. I, I don't shy away from that. And I am an open book, anything. I think we might've talked, I can't remember if it was you. I said, you know, I'm totally willing to make an ass out of myself. Because I just don't care. I'm not going to 
I'm not going to worry about stuff like that. And it's, it's a lot of that saving face thing that always happened with your family. You want everybody to think that everything is so perfect and, you know, your family is great and blah, blah, blah. And everybody's family is a mess. Yeah. <laughs> There's no are. such thing as a non-messy family, but you'd yeah. never know that by the way people talk and act. And I've just always, I've done my best, I think, for my kids to be as open about everything as possible, because I don't want them to ever feel like they didn't know me. They know me. I don't think there's anything about me that they don't know. <laughs> That's yeah, I'm I'm very open as well. And and part of that reason is I don't think I would have the mental skills for the gymnastics of lying. <laughs> mm, yeah, you know? yeah, no, it is. It's hard. Um, but yeah, I mean, the strange things come out of the family. It's like all of a sudden, like, oh, so-and-so just had a baby and I kept it a secret from you. I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> well, that whole thing, I don't know. I think that I know people who still are this way, but you don't tell anybody you're pregnant until after three months. Yes. Because, well, true. you know, yeah, what if something happens? <laughs> yeah, a, lot, a lot can go wrong. Yeah, a lot goes can go, go wrong in those early early weeks for sure yeah um, but I I, yeah, I know friends was... who's who had um family there's a, a friend of mine whose family had a, a down syndrome child and mm -hmm. never knew that he had a sibling just never told him about him just, oh yeah yeah was just institutionalized early on and this person was born afterwards and didn't know until much later in life that he had a sibling. Holy cow. I remember in um, when I was, you know, writing the review of your book and, and I mentioned Sebastian Maniscalco, who's just so freaking funny on stage. Um, <laughs> and he said that his grandfather had polio. And, and the one time he tried to ask his father about what's wrong with grandpa, he's just like, he got yelled at, like, what do you mean what's wrong with him? And he's like, <laughs> like, well, he's like, well, he walks different than everybody else. And it's like, oh, he has polio. And it was just like, not said. It was like, never yep. said. And he's like, oh. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, cancer was a word you whispered. You whispered. You, know, you didn't. Yes. Yeah. Oh, because you didn't want it. To... It's like you would, you know, you would manifest it if you said it. Yeah. It's crazy. People are weird. <laughs> yeah. And you did, um, you know, you take the, the stereotypes of the, you know, Italians with the big, you know, you have to have Sunday dinner together. People are loud and emotional and they can fly off the handle easily. Um, and they're also very protective, as we said, like they were very protective of, mm -hmm. um, of each other. So what advice do you have for for you know writers or whoever's interested in telling stories of playing with stereotypes um you know without it coming off as like too jokey yeah well you know i always say that stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason there's a reason why and I don't shy away from the stereotypes i i try to embrace them and i always go from a place of authenticity. It's if I've known somebody like that, if I know somebody like that, if I've experienced it, 
you can't tell me it's a stereotype because it happened. You know, this is how this book, this family in my book is my family. So if it's stereotypical, I think I say it in the very beginning, if, if you find it stereotypical, it's on you, not me. It's, this is my family. And this is exactly how we are. And it doesn't matter if, um, you know, there are, there have been a few reviews, not critical reviews, but reader reviews that I've seen about, you know, so stereotypical. And I was like, you know what? It's because you don't really, I don't think you know Jersey Italians. (laughs) 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 Because this is, you know, I'm not saying everybody's this way, but there's a lot still there. And it's a, it's a, I feel a way of preserving what I knew because it does get less and less stereotypically Jersey Italian with each generation. So, you know, it's not, it, it will be more stereotype at some point, but right now I don't feel like it is. So just I, any advice that I could have to writers is honestly, that stupid old adage is write what you know. If you're writing something that you know and not guessing at and not taking it from, you know, movies or books or whatever, if it's something you know, you know it. So don't worry about it and write it the way you see it. So put that haunted record player in your story. Put it in there. (laughs) You know? (laughs) (laughs) So I know that you moved and left our blessed garden state. Um, Mm -hmm. You've been in Connecticut, which is lovely. Um, But do you have a favorite Jersey place? Like, do you come back and visit? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Um. Uh, you know what? I love the Jersey Shore, anywhere along the Jersey Shore. Um, I was born in Patterson, raised in Wyckoff. So that whole, I've never been, you know, up until I moved, I'd never been uh, more than 20 minutes outside of New York. So that kind of, that area is very near and dear to my heart. Um, I, I love New Jersey. I, I moved out of New Jersey. My husband got a job in Connecticut. And it was just impossible to make that commute. It was just too far. So, you know, at first it was a novelty. And then it was, I felt necessity because I adore my family. I absolutely adore everybody in my family. But we are a bit much. And sometimes you need to have that hour between you that you're not a constant, but you're close enough. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, And now the last few years, I find myself really waxing very nostalgic for New Jersey that sometimes I think if my one daughter didn't move back to Connecticut, I would probably move back to New Jersey. (laughs) It's yeah. And and there's there are places here that um, people would be surprised at. Yeah. Oh, that's New Jersey. It's like, yeah. Or, you know, or they think it's odd that you can you know, that like Newark, they make it out like it's a a demilitarized zone or something. And I'm like, it's just, yeah. I mean, that's what people, if you're, if your only view of New Jersey is the New Jersey turnpike. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I get it. But, you know, go up the garden state parkway. It's the, one of the most beautiful drives. Once you get past the oranges and you get down to that Southern Jersey where all the marshes and the beach and all that kind of stuff, it's absolutely gorgeous. And what a beautiful, beautiful area. They, it's it's just wonderful. I, I love it. Yeah. In fact, I'll, I'll take a, an interruption here to plug my friend Thomas Pluck, who um, has a, a blog 
with um, a free version and a paid subscription area on Substack. And he moved to the Pine Barrens and it is such a different world for him. And he and his wife post these incredible pictures and mm-hmm. I'm just like, I want to go there. Like, it makes me want Isn't it to magical? go. I mean, just yeah. the name, the Pine Barrens. I mean, come on, that is amazing. <laughs> There's, yeah, there are these incredible, like, bodies of water that are called blue holes. And and it is, it's really magical. So, um, I yeah, I mean, I guess that's why, you know, people were are very superstitious, I guess, or, you know, more so around there that's where the birth of the jersey devil story came from yeah the jersey devil <laughs> of course um which appears in in enough of my my stories with the cats too um <laughs> and uh yeah so it's incredible you know the things that people discover when they're out and about um i still haven't been to the patterson falls that's been on my pinterest of oh. places i want to see and i still haven't been there <laughs> You know what? It was it was so beautiful back in the heyday of Patterson. Patterson was bigger than New York, Silk City. You know, it was just this amazing metropolitan city and it was absolutely gorgeous. And then it became so gross and polluted that you couldn't look at the falls because it was just like watching garbage come over. And then they cleaned it all up and they made such a beautiful park down there. They really tried to revitalize. Patterson. The architecture down there is insane. It's so beautiful. But if you can get to the Jersey Falls, do it before the pollution starts again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The the Lambert Castle is there also. Yeah. If, if you want want to see some cool architecture, like why is this here in the middle of Yeah. Like, the Lambert Castle, it's funny. In my prior book, the Bar Harbor Retirement Home, half of the story takes place in Patterson, New Jersey. It's, it goes back and forth in time and the Lambert Castle is in there and the Patterson Falls is in there and the old Meyer brothers that was down in town. Yeah, I Patterson is probably, I mean, I was only there until I was seven or eight, seven, I think. And um, it's just so near and dear to my heart to this day. I love Patterson. I love to go down there and drive around. Aww. That's um yeah I haven't been there for a few years but it's it yeah the castle was just very very cool um mm-hmm. and you know now I've been going up in the the towns are so small even though they're cities um along mm-hmm. the New York side um the Hudson River there so it's like you just kind of like next thing you know you're in like Weehawken and then you're in like you know <laughs> The next town, the next town is like, now you're in West New York and now you're in North Bergen. And it's just like, but we've literally gone three blocks. (laughs) Right, right. And that's how I picture where Wildale is, the the story in the city in Farina is that's that area where you're just one town after another after another. And there are all these tiny little small towns that make up this big city area. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, parking is dreadful out there I oh, will say yes. yeah so if you're looking to visit um I don't know try mass transit if that's possible but yeah <laughs> I I've I've been known to get lost on mass transit so I tend to just drive and pay <laughs> a lot for parking <laughs> yeah yeah I'm not too good with mass transit either my daughter's lived in Brooklyn for 10 years I still can't get on a subway without her <laughs> yeah 
I mean, I, d- I got like my Brooklyn and Queens confused. Like I didn't know what was North and what was South. And I was just mm-hmm. like, why? Yeah. Like this is the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. It's, I got to be with people that know what they're doing. Yeah. Everybody tells me it's so easy. You either go North or South, East and West. There's numbers, there's names. I'm like, I just, I'm already confused. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, okay, well, I didn't bring my Girl Scout compass with me, Um, you know. (laughs) Thank goodness for Um, GPS. Seriously, yeah. Um, (laughs) I will say as a a vegetarian, if you come to New Jersey, there's an amazing place um, with three locations called Papa Ganache. I'm happy to plug them. Um, they have, they have gluten-free meals and desserts and they have vegan, it's all vegan. Um, the most delicious food, unbelievable food. And so they have a Matawan branch and a couple other branches. Um, so cannolis, people get surprised, (laughs) but you can make vegan cannolis and they are effing delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Papa we have my them. one daughter tries to live vegan. The other daughter is a vegetarian. It has been since she's 11. She's now 31. So I've got a lot of uh, vegetarian, vegan. My grandkids are semi-vegetarian. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm happy that there are more places with options. There's also a place oh, you gosh, may, yeah. people may have seen, if you've ever seen photos of New Jersey, there's the Clinton Red Mill. It's like mm-hmm. apparently the most photographed landmark, um, which I, I didn't know. I knew it was painted a lot because you even like can go out there and see people set up with their easels and it's next to the art museum. So um, there's a river between the art museum and the mill. It's a beautiful little spot. And um, so right like down the block is a little cafe called Grounded for Life. And they have great like juices and stuff, but they also had the vegan cannolis and cupcakes. Mm. And I was just like, well, just because I'm vegan doesn't mean I don't like sugar. And I'm not totally <laughs> vegan. I, I'm vegan with like, you know, cheats. I because <laughs> sometimes you it's just hard gotta not have to be. Yeah. I mean, it's just like eggs are very easy. And sometimes you just need butter or if it's baked in, I don't give a crap. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Oh, my gosh. I yeah, I love going there and indulging in like cupcakes and getting a good little like I I love that there's so many places now when my kids were first vegetarian my son had a girlfriend who was vegan and trying to feed her back in the you know early late 90s early 2000s it was impossible she ate salad it's all she was able to eat and half the time they throw cheese on it it's like that's the problems. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Can, I'm like, can you leave off the cheese? And by the way, I'm allergic to nuts and no meat or fish. <laughs> so it's like, so you want lettuce is what you're saying. And I'm like, mm. like it's, yeah. it's so good. And my son is a chef out in Portland and he worked in a comfort food diner that was <gasps> that vegan. Oh, yeah. And he, he learned to do so many really, you would never I mean, I hate to say, oh, you'd never know it was vegan, but you'd never know it was vegan. <laughs> that sounds delicious. You give me a vegan mac yeah. and cheese and I am on it. Yeah, that was his specialty. <laughs> yeah, heck yeah. Um, but that was reminding me of something else because we were getting back to um, like Verena being in her 70s and um, the family dinners. She's 
was usually the one to make the family dinners. And at some point mm-hmm. it's just like, Oh my God, like, no, I'm done with this. I'm done with all this work. It's so much work. Um, <laughs> food is, yeah. food is a lot of work. And yeah. um, that's why if, you know, when I'm on my own, it's just like, what can I pull out of the freezer? <laughs> it's like such garbage. food. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I but, love to cook. I absolutely love to cook. Um, I hate to clean up, but I love to cook. <laughs> but yeah, as it's funny, we yeah. go to I I have a beach house. We um, friends and I rent a beach house down in Virginia every May uh, April, and uh, I do all the cooking. And now it's we have so many dietary restrictions between celiacs and alpha gal and if somebody's a vegetarian lactose intolerance now we have somebody who's allergic to nightshades it's like i okay we're gonna have lettuce and rice <laughs> yeah exactly yep here's your rice Enjoy. <laughs> exactly that's, that's what we're eating and i'm going a week a week from saturday i leave yay <laughs> yay that's cool um so I know we're doing just audio, but I'm lucky I get to see your gorgeous purple hair. And I know you've done the purple thing for um, a very long time and you're probably done with it. But um, in the story, Verena has this mishap with the hair coloring. I think we've all been there. I remember going. Yeah, into a I actually did after. it. Yeah. I mean, I've I was doing stuff on purpose. You know, I love playing with hair colors and stuff. But then I remember I needed a complete color correction. And I went into this one snooty hair salon where they were all like behind me as if I couldn't see in the gigantic wall size mirror. But they were all talking they were all talking about me and pointing. I'm like I I was in tears. Like you should not want to come out of a, a salon in absolute tears. And then I went to some like local hole in the wall salon place you know like where they did barber stuff they you know it was just like you never even know it was there and those ladies were awesome and they they did a much better job and treated me nice and I was like I was like you know when we talk about like oh shampoo recommendations and they're just like buy stuff at the supermarket you know like they weren't trying to upsell me some thirty dollar bottle of Paul Mitchell or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, when I was, before I was dyeing my hair funny colors, I accidentally dyed my hair green. It was not a, it was not a lovely shade of green. It was, it was like puke green. And that was the only uh, accident. I've been doing my hair, the rainbow colors probably since 2014-ish. Yeah. So, and I am kind of tired of it. I, I wanted to stop at my editor. I was like, no, you can't stop yet. Your, your hair is pink on your book jacket. <laughs> yeah. And it matches your book cover. It does. Isn't that funny? It's <laughs> and at the time we were choosing the colors, my hair was actually blue. So it wasn't even done on purpose. It just happened to be, oh, look at that. It matches. That's why I'm pink right now. When I got to the to the end of the book and then I took a, a look at the, the cover, I was just like, that's why they picked these colors. I was like, they, <laughs> I'm like, it's written in there. Like there's, you know, the the lavender and the orange bedroom. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm like, these colors make sense now. It's like this was brilliant artwork. 
isn't it isn't it amazing you just things i would never even think of it's like they know what they're doing you, you know if, if people ask me all the time do you get any input on your cover art and anything like that it's like they ask me if i like it but they know what they're doing i don't so i trust them <laughs> that's good yeah i mean i i work with artists all the time and it's like i i go through that a lot too i'm like i'm like you have the eye for things that i don't have mm-hmm. so go for mm-hmm. it <laughs> um, but it, it, you know, thinking about uh, how great it is to see a protagonist in her seventies, and what's funny to me is like my favorite thing of all time is, of course, Murder She Wrote. And uh, so I went uh, last. Really, that's funny. <laughs> yes, my I I was like, you know what? That was so long ago. I'm like, let me see how old Angela Lansbury was, and she was at least fifty nine. Okay, when the show started, yeah. and it went on for like thirteen years. Um, because I have these weird things in my head, obviously when you're kids, when you're little, you think everybody's old. I mean, you Mm -hmm. just think old is old. It doesn't matter if you're 25 or 85, you just think everybody's old. And I can remember watching, I love Lucy, my mom's favorite show. And maybe because it was black and white, I don't know why, but I always thought Lucy and Ethel were very old, even though Lucy (laughs) then had a baby. It's like, <laughs> and you know, perfect, beautiful skin and a baby. And for some reason, I just assumed they were old. And no, um, one of the greatest things I think in the last few years was Grace and Frankie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just love, you know, I love seeing these actors. Um, they could have used some more diversity, um, but they did yeah. it, Lily Tomlin, <laughs> Lily Tomlin, Tomlin and Jane Fonda. And I was like, this is fantastic. And they did a few projects together after that. And of course, from, you know, mm-hmm. nine to five days, but they did the 80 for Brady and moving on, um, which those I haven't seen yet. I just think because you always hear about that, that Hollywood and entertainment in general just doesn't mm-hmm. have a, there's no place for people that are older. And it's I like, really think that's not? changing. Yeah, I, I think that it's it's always been a lot more fair for men. I mean, sure, I adore Harrison Ford, but he's still making freaking Indiana Jones movies, you know? <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> but it's um, I I really like that. Um, I think because so many people are getting older now and older without um, the trappings that we used to like when I was a kid, my grandma didn't do things like Jane Fonda and, and Lily Tomlin at their ages, you know, she sat and watched her stories because that's what was expected of somebody her age. And there's so much more expectation at this point. And sometimes I feel like it puts a lot of pressure on older people to feel like they should still be doing these things with the same vim and vigor. But it's not also not out of the realm of possibility for them to be doing it. And I think that it opens up a huge, um, a, a lot of opportunity for older people to not have to weigh into those, those, I hate to use the word, but stereotypes. Right, <laughs> right. I mean, maybe they shouldn't be running for office in their 80s, but. Yes, well, <laughs> we won't go into that. Because <laughs> that could take forever. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness so 
so you're working on something new that you said that you're shopping around. So where can people um, keep up with your news and what's going on, where your book signings and stuff are? Um, I, well, Facebook is where I put a lot of stuff. Um, but I have a blog called modestyisforsuckers.com. <laughs> Love it. It's my life motto. Um and so I try to keep things, I'm, I actually am working on a schedule of, um, to put up on there someplace, but it's been so insane. If the, I could let's just take pictures of my day planner and just post them up <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> Here's where you can find me. Yeah. <laughs> but when I'm doing something, I will put it closer to the date. Like if we get a date for this, that you're going to post it up, I will put it up on my blog. So yeah. that people who follow me can do there. And then that goes out to Instagram and does it go to Twitter anymore? I think it still goes to Twitter. I think it's just Facebook that won't allow the, the cross thing. Yeah. I think mine got disconnected um, because I used to be able to, and I, I don't know, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, they change it all the time. So, yeah, I think that that well, and they roll stuff out so it doesn't affect everybody at the same time. Is there anything that you're enjoying that you want to talk about? Um, do you get time? <laughs> to, to, um... <laughs> yes, I do. I, I still get, you know, I still write every day, nine till three. Um, but I, you know, that having this, doing this is, is uh, I have a very flexible schedule. Like tomorrow I'm going to go plant shopping with my daughter and grandchildren to help her plant her garden, which is another thing that I like to do. And uh, it's it's nice. It's a good schedule. And because there's no rush for the next book, I don't have to be as strict as I usually am. <laughs> so it does give me more time. Strangely enough, more time and less because I'm doing so many different events and podcasts and, and signings and all that kind of stuff, which is awesome. But, um, you know, it's taking some of the leisure time <laughs> away. <laughs> all right. Um, well, thank you so much for fitting this into into your schedule. I I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. This was fun. Everybody loves. I, everybody um, I've told so far about this podcast. Like vodka clock. I love it. <laughs> yes, yes. It used to be. It used to be one of those things where it would be like more at night or on the weekends when I could have a glass of something. But now I'm like now it's always me with with coffee. <laughs> so. <laughs> So that's great. And uh, we'll keep in touch. And good luck to you and all of your cats and your family. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so for you listening, just to remind you that you can follow me and the cats on Instagram also at Amber Unmasked and catch up with their daily shenanigans. It's mostly Gus, um, but that's because he's the one glued to me um and the reviews and everything else are at amberonmass.com and the cat stories are at catdetectivecases.com so um that's it for now but thank you again terry thank you